This morning, um, we are actually starting something new. This morning, we are looking <coughs> at a new series, Tragedy and Triumph. So Genesis uh, ended, uh, or, or rather, there was a, a natural pause in the section of Genesis from chapter 11, and we'll return to that in the near future and look at that in sections. Um, but I wanted us to start something new uh, today, and we are actually in the book of Job. So, if you turn in your Bibles past Samuel, past Kings, past Chronicles, before you get to before you get to Psalms, there's a book uh, called Job. It's it's quite uh, lengthy, so you can't you can't miss it. It's the first of the wisdom uh, books, and um, we started in Genesis. Job uh, is one of the the earliest accounts um, taking place around or before even the time of Abraham. Um, obviously, it was written uh, much later. Perhaps it was written by, um, by Moses. He lived in Midian for about 40 years as a shepherd. And the place where Job, the book of Job takes place is right next to Midian. So he might have uh, heard these uh, stories from there, or uh, Solomon might have wrote it as he wrote the majority of um, the rest of the, uh, the poetry books, um, including several psalms. But it doesn't matter ultimately who wrote it. Um, what matters is that this story is, is really unlike anything else we come across in Scripture. Before we get to that, I want us to consider the idea of suffering. Suffering, suffering if it can be put into words at all, is to describe unbearable pain without relief or respite in or rest. It's to experience the despair and the anguish of casualties and collateral damage on an unrepairable, unreversible scale to be at the short end of the many gross injustices of this world without um, hope of justice, to experience unprecedented hardship or inequality so many face because of dictators and warlords and corrupt establishment that almost steal in plain sight and cast the blame on others. 
to freeze, to starve. Suffering, I don't need to look very far or draw very deep for some kind of hypothetical illustration to explain this to you. We can merely turn on the news and be bombarded by example after example of suffering happening on global scale. The one most recent and most close to home, floods in Durban, We might, in, in the midst of this, being surrounded by news of suffering, we might be tempted to think, why is this happening? And knowing that God is sovereign and omnipotent and omnipresent, we might be tempted to ask, why is God letting this happen? And as we look down at the innocent uh, lives that are experiencing suffering that did nothing to bring it upon themselves in any way. They're just at the whims of um, tyranny and uh, global forces playing what seems to be a game of chess at, um, at our expense or um, the very forces of nature. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it, and we might be tempted to think, why is God letting this happen to good people? Job is a book written thousands of years ago that speaks on this very dilemma. And it speaks to the character and the nature of God, and it speaks to our uh, temperament as um, feeble, uh, uh, short-sighted <laughs> human beings. And it educates us to reframe our own suffering or the suffering that we look upon in our day and age. So over the next few weeks, we are going to journey together through the book of Job. But before we get into chapter 1 and 2 that lays the stage, um, I want to give you some context on um, the way that Job is written, okay? We know that Job was a real person. We know it because James refers to Job as a real person. Ezekiel refers to Job as a real person. And several other accounts talk about this man as being a real person. So we know that what is happening here, there's some historical basis for it. But, 
we would be at fault to read it as a historical book. If you uh, read through Job and you, and you see it in a, in a broader picture, what comes to mind is a stage production. That's what comes to mind for me. You sit and you see uh, the story being played out um, in a space and time. It's not a globe-trotting adventure like the movies that takes you to all these locales. It's usually very intimate and it's usually very localized. And we see this. Almost the entire book of Job after chapter 1 and 2 is Job sitting on a heap of ash talking with his three friends. Doesn't sound uh, very exciting, <laughs> um, but before I met my wife, I didn't appreciate theater very much. Now, I, I love it. If you've ever uh, gone to a one-man production or a two-man production, um, two people sitting in a room talking can be very, very compelling. Even more so if those conversations lead us to learn theological truth and help us to gain a better understanding of something that um, we all experience and will experience and have experienced, suffering. It's poetic. The, um, and we'll look at some examples even in chapter 1 and 2. The story is based on a real person but it has been uh, romanticized uh, or, or poeticized to draw out and to emphasize the theological point of Job's story. Let's read chapter 1 and 2 together. We won't go through the entire section. And uh, we'll get to know a bit about who Job is and what led him to experience suffering. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, fearing God and avoiding evil. Had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were uh, 7,000 sheep and so on, um, camels and oxen, and donkeys, and he had many servants, and he was a man of, of uh, great stature of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and make a feast um, in the house of each on his day, and they would send and call for their three sisters to eat with them and drink. Then after the days of feasting, um, Job uh, sent uh, and sanctified them. He would rise up early and um, he would offer a burnt offering, uh, um, each one for his children. And Job said, 
It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, and thus uh, he would offer these sacrifices on behalf of his children for six. And now there was a day when his, the sons of God came to the present, present themselves before the Lord, and the adversary also came among them. And the Lord said to the adversary, From where have you come? Then the adversary answered the Lord, saying, From roaming on the earth, from walking up and down. And the Lord said to the adversary, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and avoids evil. Then the adversary answered the Lord, saying, Has Job feared God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has? You have blessed the works of his hand, but stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to the adversary, Look, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against his person. So the adversary departed from the presence of the Lord. And then a faithful day, again, I imagine uh, looking at it up from an audience and Job is sitting comfortably um, somewhere and a servant rushes up. So I'm explaining the rest of chapter 1. A servant rushes up and he says, um, uh, Job, uh, um, something terrible has happened. All of the... Um, the livestock uh, got destroyed. Fire came down from heaven and um, burnt everything up. I don't think he's referring to a miracle. I think he's referring to probably something like lightning that might have set a field on fire or caused a forest fire that, uh, that burnt uh, or destroyed the the stock of livestock. And as the servant was talking, another servant comes running in and he says, well, I'm interrupting, it's an emergency. All your sheep, your 7,000 sheep, a great wind came and they're all dead, they're all gone. Something like a hurricane or a tornado had come and uh, destroyed it. And one servant after the other comes and gives Job this terrible news until a fourth servant comes and he says, Lord, <laughs> your family, your children, they were feasting together like they always do. And this wind 
swept through the house and, and destroyed it, and only I survived. All of your sons and daughters are dead. <clears throat> and Job suddenly breaks down in anguish and, and mourning. It says he shaves his head, he puts on sackcloth and ash. That is how uh, they traditionally mourned. And he says, in verse 20, Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked am I from my mother's womb, and naked will I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, and he did not accuse God of wrongdoing. Let's look at that. So Job doesn't have the context that we have where um, in heaven the adversary, the word Satan literally means adversary in Hebrew. Satan is almost a transliteration, um, but the meaning is adversary or accuser. In the Greek, that comes through as well um, with the word um, devil, <laughs> Um, adversary or accuser, and that's one of the things that he does. He accuses us before the throne of the Lord. And in this conversation, um, a just, it says, an upright man gets brought uh, into the picture. Satan accuses Job and says, he only blesses you and is only obedient and he only worships you because of what you can give him or what you have given him. Take that away and watch what he says. Unfortunately, I think I'm, I'm scared <laughs> to imagine the reaction of many that profess Christ, that they would in an instant, curse God if their blessings, so to speak, were taken away. You know, talking about suffering and the idea of, um, of giving and taking away, Robert Marsh said something profound that really stuck with me for a long, long time. We were talking about um, shepherding a church through the time of COVID. We're all unsure. It was the beginning of COVID. We thought, you know, society was going to collapse. How are we going to keep our little congregation together? And, um, and he said, we can learn a thing or two from the persecuted church. The church where you hear stories of, um, uh, Islam extremists 
breaking into the homes of Christians and uh, maiming them, cutting off their arms. Um, a story of a man, his feet were cut off because he had to walk 30 kilometers to a village every week to share the gospel and to minister. So the extremists cut off their, his feet, try and walk that 30 kilometers now. Well, he got on a donkey and he rode the 30 kilometers and he continued his ministry, suffering on an unspeakable level. And Robert Marsh said, you know, they're better equipped to continue their ministries and their churches through COVID than we are. In fact, I would be surprised if they even feel a change. Is our worship based on the uh, how favorable our circumstances are? We would say, no, of course not. But something like that does require some thought, doesn't it? We can't just write it off and say, no, of course I won't, I won't do that. I won't deny God. I'll, I'll die for you. I'll draw my sword for you. Does that sound familiar? Peter was also sure. It requires us to sit back and think about that. What if suffering befell me tomorrow? He was a family man. Job loved his children. They were healthy. They were, um, uh, they were uh, unified. They feasted in, in each other's houses. Every day of the week, they would take turns and have a meal together, and they would invite their sisters. Uh, there was a familial bond. So when they died, I can imagine Job feeling it tremendously, even though it's just a few verses in our Bible. Can you imagine, and I'm sure some of you can, we've all lost somebody dear to us, even children, to imagine the grief, the suffering of the heart. Don't downplay that just because it's two lines in our Bible. And he said, blessed is the name of the Lord. In chapter 2, he goes on again uh, God and Satan have another conversation. And God um, uses Satan's words uh, sort of against him. He says, And the Lord said to the adversary, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? who fears God and avoids evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him without 
cause. Satan previously said, does he worship you without cause? So Satan tries to uh, up the scales and he said, well, what would a man give for his own life? Surely he would give up all of the, uh, his wealth and everything, maybe not his children, but if his own life was at stake, he would curse you. And so God again allows Satan to um, to inflict uh, Job with it says sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, nasty, boiling, festering sores. Can you imagine the suffering? And it says Job went to go sit in a pile of ash and use a piece of a broken pot to scrape the dead, uh, molting skin off of the sores on his body. That's all that he could do. What suffering. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. In other words, just curse God so that he can end your life, so that you can be struck down and it will all just end. Why are you continuing to hold on to life? And he says, you talk like one of the foolish woman talks. <laughs> it's the same word we see in Proverbs and Psalms referring to unbelief, referring to unfaithfulness and um, hard-heartedness, that idea of foolishness. He wasn't calling her dumb. <laughs> we will indeed accept the good from God but not accept the adversity. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's important to take note of this repeating phrase that's been repeated twice now. Job did not sin. The final idea here uh, before we uh, conclude to reframe how we think through adversity and suffering. I don't want us to think that because of all the injustice that has befallen on us, it gives us liberty or excuse <laughs> to sin in that we might strive to seek revenge. We might strive to steal because we have been stolen from. All these 
these heist movies, you know, where you root for the, the little guy to um, steal the fortune from the big corporation that did them over or, you know, uh, and you think that's justified. Well, it, it makes for entertaining viewing, I guess, but, but I, I never want us to think about suffering in such black and white terms that, that causes us to sin. We might look on our, what has been taken away from us, and we look to others that have been given, and we start to feel envy and jealousy, and soon we feel hate, and soon we feel anger. As we go on this journey to explore uh, Job's suffering as a case study, it said that Job did not accuse God of wrongdoing. Let's step back and think about the suffering around us and the suffering that we have experienced. Maybe empty our cups a little bit. Maybe consider the fact that if there is any misconceptions that we have, and let us look at it through Job's eyes and see what we can learn. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at the intro introductory passages of this book, I pray that it may be edifying and we deal with such difficult, weighty subject matter that you may uh, help us to be sensitive to each other. And may this be an opportunity to encourage one another in the faith and to care for one another.